Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hey guys, this is Eugene Bach with Back to Jerusalem. I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China this time. Now, usually I'm doing my podcast just doing the recording using my phone. I'm still using my phone. And if you hear this podcast, it's going to be a little breezy. I'm sitting actually on a beach here in southern China. Uh, I just wanted to do this podcast a little bit different than I've done before. You know, for those of you that are listening to the download of this podcast, it's the exact same as I always do. But today, because we've been doing a lot of our podcasts and putting them up on YouTube, I decided I would go ahead and do this one live on delay and on location and in video form uh, because it's a, it's a special podcast. It's one that I want to do about our newest book that has just come out. Now, if you haven't heard of our newest book, um, it's probably one of the most phenomenal books that I've ever done or been a part of. Uh, it is the story of Robert Morrison. Robert Morrison is probably one of the most transformational missionaries in the history of missions here in China. And not just here in China, maybe the entire world. He had a vision to bring the good news to the world's most populated nation and transform the Bible into the most populated language, the most widely spoken language. And uh, he was one of the most transformational missionaries to ever reach these shores. And he's the very first one. You know, just being the very first at anything is usually a big deal. But not many people have been able to follow in his footsteps to do all of the things that he did. I mean, he came to China as a missionary, the very first Protestant missionary. That would have seemed to be enough for most people, but not for Robert Morrison. And when I began to study more about his life, I mean, I've only known about him like most missionaries. I mean, we only know him really by name. Not a lot of people know too many details about Robert Morrison. I think they probably know more about Hudson Taylor. But without Robert Morrison, there may have never been a Hudson Taylor. Robert Morrison was not just the very first missionary to come to China. Contrary to popular belief, he was the very first missionary to ever put on Chinese clothing and, and go into the interior part of China preaching the good news. The first Protestant missionary to do that anyway. Any of our Catholic listeners listening to that would be like, no, there were, there were missionaries much earlier, long before Robert Morrison, long before Hudson Taylor. And they were missionaries and they preached the gospel and they translated portions of the Bible into the Chinese language. And there's always this rival, right, between Protestants and Catholics and Protestants believing that Catholics really aren't Christian and Catholics believing that uh, Protestants really aren't a part of the church. There's, there's kind of this back and forth, but we, we cannot acknowledge, and I know a lot of people will argue with me about this, but we can't really acknowledge uh, Protestant missions without giving homage and respecting the very first Christian missionaries that were indeed Christian and were also Catholic and a part of the Catholic Church, zealots who came and gave their life in Western China 
and right here where I'm sitting now in southern China, preaching the good news. But none of them had an impact like Robert Morrison. So we've just come out with this brand new book that's called Bury Me in China. It's the, it's the true story of Robert Morrison. And the reason it was written is because when I was going through older books that were written by missionaries in China, I found myself yearning to read from the writings of Robert Morrison. So I began to write, read his, his, his diary, his journal. And it's, it's a pretty hefty read. I mean, it's like over 1,500 pages or something. Um, I read it in ebook format. And it took several months to go through his, his journal. But I went through his journal. But I started to read every biography I could get my hands on. And, and that's when it hit me that his story, his biography, really hasn't been told in over 100 years. I mean, there's been little things written about him, small booklets, which are kind of like an extended form of Wikipedia written about Robert Morrison, but nothing really in depth. And I thought maybe there's not much more to this guy's life than the fact that he just arrived on China. That's a possibility. But as I started to read, I, I, I found that once Robert Morrison died, there wasn't anybody alive at that time that felt that they were able to write his story. A lot of people wanted his son to write his story, but his son took over after his father's footsteps of working for uh, the British uh, uh, embassy here in China. And so his, his son was together with him as a translator for the ambassador into China, coming out of Macau and into Guangzhou at that time. And his son was just overwhelmed with the new duties of being a translator. So he didn't really know how to, how to write the story of, of his father. And he didn't live with his father much of, much of his life because life was so difficult here in China in the early ages. Robert Morrison lost two children, died, and were buried here during a time when Protestants weren't even allowed to have a grave. One of his children was, was thrown into a, a ditch kind of to provide the foundation for mortar for a wall that went up in the city. His wife then also died here and is buried here in China. And then his children were really without a mother and kind of without a father because during those days, um, Robert Morrison had to travel back and forth quite a bit between Guangzhou or modern day Guangzhou and, and Macau and his children were not able to go back and forth together with him. So they spent much of their life with their mother, some of it in England, away from their father. And even when they were here in China, they weren't able to really see their father. And when their mother died, their father, Robert Morrison, was not able to take care of them in the way that he knew that they needed caring and they needed an education that he wasn't able to provide. So he sent them back to England to be educated while he stayed here in China. Robert Morrison gave his life in ways that it's hard to imagine. And think of this. When Robert Morrison first came here to China, it was against the law illegal to teach foreigners the Chinese language. So did, how, how did, if it was illegal to, for foreigners to learn the Chinese language, or, or if it was illegal for Chinese to teach foreigners how to learn the, the Chinese language, how did Robert Morrison learn it? In fact, it was... It was punishable by death 
if a local Chinese was ever caught teaching a foreigner the Chinese language. The story of how Robert Morrison learned the Chinese language is found in our book, Bury Me in China. And it's never really been told before, definitely not in any of his biographies. That story is, I, okay, I, let me give you just a little glimpse from the book. The story tells parallel stories alongside of Robert Morrison's uh, own story in the book. The reason why is there were so many events tied in with Robert Morrison's story that it's, it's impossible really to understand what Robert Morrison was doing and how he was doing it and why he was doing it without context of what was happening immediately before him, with him, and then right after him. So that's why we tell this biography in a kind of a tapestry of events that take place. So you're, you, the, the way that this book is written is that you're getting uh, Robert Morrison firsthand information, much of it from his own diary, which has never really been done before, not with his story. And, and, and then you get, so you get these, these short glimpses, chapters of his life and what he's doing and what leads him to the mission field to come to China. But you also get these, these, these intertwined stories that are kind of like a tapestry sewn in to the book. Um, every other chapter, as it were, is these stories that had to be told. And one of them is how Robert Morrison learned the Chinese language. Now, if you are, if you are familiar with the, the, the museum in England, the Natural History Museum of England, if you've ever been there, if you've ever heard about it, it's one of the best natural history museums in the world. The two tops, I mean, basically kind of three tops, I think. America, um, France, and then the UK. The UK has some of the some of the best exhibits from around the world and throughout history because, let's just face it, they, they colonized most, most, most of the world, right? So they were able to bring artifacts and items from other countries, whether they agreed with it or not really didn't matter. And so those artifacts are preserved for all of humans to go and see today in England. And it's, it's in my opinion, it's my favorite natural history museum to go to. If, if you've never been to a natural history museum, London. England that is the place to go and see the natural history that's the best one in the world bar none uh, and and I say that as someone who's been to many natural history museums including to the ones right here in China which some of them are are kind of lacking um, because they just don't have a lot to put on even though this is the world's oldest culture and oldest speaking language in many ways they just don't have a lot of their things preserved and on display for other people to see it in the way that you do in England but a lot of people don't know that the Natural History Museum actually started because of the very first Bible translations that came from here in China. You see, several hundred years ago, there was a missionary by the name of Jean Basset. And Jean was a zealot who went to Chengdu in Sichuan province in western China. And there he was preaching the gospel long before Robert Morrison ever came. He was sent by the, the Catholic Church. And so he comes and he preaches the gospel and he plants a small house churches in Sichuan province in the area of Chengdu. And he's, and he's preaching and at night 
he is writing the Bible into the Chinese language. Now you have to remember, not only was it illegal to translate the Bible into the Chinese language at that time, it was illegal to really read the Bible in any other language at that time as well. I mean, we still, these are, this is during the time of like Wycliffe and, uh, and Martin Luther. So, I mean, the Catholic Church was big on the Bible not being translated into the common languages either. And so, Jean Bisset is really breaking Catholic tradition by translating the Bible into the Chinese language. But he knows the time for missionaries here in China is limited. And so I only have a small amount of time that I can get the word into the Chinese hands. And what happens when I can't be here anymore? There's something greater than me, and that is God's word. And the Chinese will be able to read it in their own common tongue, in their own common language. This is what makes Christianity so much different than Islam. Islam, the Quran is only to be read in the Arabic language. Prayers are only to be given to Allah in the Arabic language. Not true for Christianity. Not true for the body of Christ. We can pray to God in our mother tongue, in our heart language, and he hears our call. And Jean Bisset understood that. And so he began to translate portions of the Bible. And those portions of the Bible were sent to England and given as a gift to a, a, a Lord. But the Lord knew that these writings of the Chinese Bible are too great for just one person to have access to. This is a, this is a gift for all of England. This is a gift for all of mankind. Everybody should be able to enjoy these writings that were translated for the very first time into the Chinese language about Jesus Christ. And so, a museum was started to hold the Bible and several other artifacts. Well, over the years, many other things began to be brought in from around the world. For instance, Captain Cook in the 1700s. He thought it would be great to not just bring artifacts, but to bring people. So he began to bring people from China to meet with the King of England for the very first time. And a lot of the things that explorers like Captain Cook brought back, they, they would put into the museum. They didn't put people into the museum, but they, they put many artifacts in, and, and things from antiquity into the museum for everybody to enjoy. But over time, these Bible translations were lost until a pastor had an overwhelming desire to see the gospel preached to all the world. And he realized that there are a couple nations like China, like India, that have the world's largest populations, the largest speaking groups of their language. And yet nobody has the gospel in their language. There's no Bible in their language. You have tens of millions of people that speak the Chinese language and yet no Bible in their language. How is that allowable by the church how will the why would the church not focus on taking the good news to the most populated unreached people groups on earth he believed if we really believe in matthew 28 14 that the good news we preach to all the people groups all the ethnos groups and then the end will come if we truly believe that wouldn't we be wanting to go and preach the good news in every nation and tongue? Well, this pastor 
led by the Holy Spirit, went to the Natural History Museum. The, the person working at the desk, as the story goes, told by him. The person working at the library at that time or working at the museum was, was wondering, you know, when, when is he going to leave? Because they wanted to go home, but he, he didn't want to leave. He felt that the Holy Spirit was keeping him there. And when the librarian asked, how can I help you? What are you looking for? He answered and said, I don't know what I'm looking for. I, I know that God wants me here. I'm looking for something and I'll know when I find it. You, you ever go hunting for snacks um, at night, like in the middle of the night or 10 o'clock at night? Uh, you're, maybe you're watching a movie and you're not really tired or maybe you're playing around on the internet or you're, maybe you're watching YouTube videos like, like this one. You know, you're just going down one of those rabbit holes and you get the munchies, right? And you go through your cabinet and you're looking for everything. And then somebody comes in, like your mom or your dad or your wife or your husband or your, your children, they come in, what are you doing? I'm looking for something to eat. What are you hungry for? I don't know. You ever have one of those? Like, I don't know what it is that I'm hungry for, but I'll know it when I see it. And when you see that perfect emblem of that which you're snackish for, whether it be the golden Oreo box, double stuffed Oreos sitting in the back of the cupboard, or, or, or whether it be lunch meats in the back of the fridge, or whether it be snackable cheese sticks, whatever it is, you'll know it when you see it. That's kind of like this pastor that was sitting there. He was like, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I see it. And then, one evening, in the back, he sees something that catches his eye. He goes back and he finds these scrolls written in Chinese, labeled as the very first gospel written into the Chinese language. It wasn't a complete Bible, but it was the Gospel of Matthew and several of the books of the New Testament that were translated by Jean Bisset himself. This was a gold mine, but how could we get the entire Bible translated into the Chinese language? And that's when a young man by the name of Robert Morrison had a calling to go and join the London Missionary Society, a, a, a brand new society that had just started up wasn't big, wasn't well-funded, wasn't well-known, had no history really in missions at all, didn't know anything about what they were doing. But now the young man was connected with the scriptures of Jean Bisset that had been written years before him. That pastor wasn't done. <laughs> that pastor wasn't done. He actually had a, a, a another vision. The Holy Spirit told him to go to London and look for a Chinese man that would be the teacher for Robert Morrison. Now, during the time, there were no Chinamen in London, not like today where you can go into London and almost any borough find Chinese food in a Chinese restaurant cooked by Chinese that have a more highly likelihood of speaking the Chinese language than speaking the English language in the middle of London. But God told him, and he listened to the Holy Spirit. And he's going throughout the cities and the crowds of London during that time in the, in the early 1800s. And he is 
trying to see, is there anybody that even looks remotely Chinese? <laughs> and day one, he finds nobody. And he gets a bit disappointed. And he thinks about giving up, but the next day he puts on his boots, puts his coat on, and goes hiking back out into London. And there he finds an old, wise-looking Chinese. Looks like one of these old sages stripped straight out of a kung fu movie. And he just starts talking to him. Sir, can you please come and teach your language to a young man, Robert Morrison? That man said, no, I can't, but I think I know somebody who can takes him to a young man that was brought to the shores of England, an explorer who wanted to give a, 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 a special gift to the king, which was a Chinese person, exotic, remote. And I know that sounds really colonialist, but trust me, England wasn't the only one to bring foreigners over to their country so that their people could be. <laughs> I was just having dinner two nights ago with some good friends of mine. Um, they are from the Philippines. And um, the wife, she is from um, a, a remote village, a fishing village in the Philippines where they never saw foreigners. But my friend, she went to a school that was, that was a little bit of a trek away from uh, her, her fishing village. And she had foreign friends. And sometimes she would bring the, the foreign friends to her home and uh, she's about the same age as, as I am and um, and she told me that you know I used to bring foreigners to my home and I would charge my friends money to come and look at them because they were such an oddity in our village and so this is this similar thing taking place in England where where uh, explorers are bringing Chinese into England so that people can see this exotic people group I mean, they don't have TV. Uh, they don't have almost any books whatsoever written about China or about the people of China. The normal people, that 99% of the population in England know absolutely nothing about China. And along comes this person from China, speaks a strange language, dressed in strange clothing, wears a strange material that they don't really have in England, wearing shoes that are completely different than anything that they've ever seen before, has a haircut completely foreign to anything that the British have ever seen before. And here's this young guy who's been brought over by an explorer, showed to the king, king thinks it's exotic for one night, and then says goodbye. The Chinese guy has nowhere to go. No job, no language, no friends, no connection. There was a society at that time that was abolishing slavery, that had abolished slavery already in England. And so they actually paid for this Chinese man to have a place to live. They didn't agree with what was taking place with him, but they wanted to help him, they wanted to serve him. So they paid for him to go to school, they paid for him to have an apartment. And in fact, the, the um, very person that led the effort to eradicate slavery in England was the person who personally paid the, the fees for this young Chinese to have a place to live. 
And so the older Chinese sage looking man found through leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit for this pastor, they went together with Robert Morrison to meet this young Chinese. And Robert Morrison and that Chinese uh, brother connected for a lifetime. In fact, when Robert Morrison came here to China, it was not long after that Sam, his good friend, who taught him Chinese, came and joined him on the field. Robert Morrison only went back to England once his entire time. He wanted to live here, serve here, and die here. That is why our newest book is called Bury Me in China, the story of Robert Morrison. That story has never been connected to Robert Morrison before. The, Robert, the, the story of Jean Bisset and Robert Morrison never been connected in a biography about Robert Morrison before. The, the story of how Sam and, and Robert Morrison met for the first time, never told before. And many stories like that, there are so many of them that we had to weave them in and out of Robert Morrison's story so that you could get the whole picture of one of the most foundational people ever in the history of missions. Definitely one of the most impactful missionaries to ever set foot on the soil of China. You wanna know why we're seeing revivals right here in China? Robert Morrison will tell you the story. His dedication, his service, his selflessness, his dedication to Christ and the message of the gospel for the Chinese people will motivate you, inspire you. And I think that it is a message for today's church. It's an easy read. <laughs> to be honest, it was an easy write. It's, um, it's, it's not one of our shorter books. It's a longer book, but I have to tell you, I really feel like the Holy Spirit led and guided during the writing of this book. Guys, I sat down and each chapter was going by so fast. It was hard for me to keep up with the story because my, I, 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 I'm, as I'm telling it, I'm actually making the sign of me writing. I didn't write anything. I typed it. So it was more like this than like this. And also, I'm not right-handed. What's that? I'm using my right hand to signify writing something. I'm actually left-handed. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit was with me when I was writing this moving, giving me passion, motivation. There were things that I was reading when I was reading Robert Morrison's journal and when I was reading all these different sources to write this book. As I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, I have to write this down. And I wasn't able to type fast enough. I wasn't able to think fast enough. My spirit was running to keep up with the Holy Spirit. To be honest with you, I don't know if I'll ever feel that again. I knew what it was when it came because I've had it before. And I've had it enough times to realize that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you have to grab it, hold on to it, suck it of all the life that you can, and don't let it go wrestle with it until you get every ounce of blessing out of that time where the Holy Spirit is just touching you. 
Guys, this is why you need to keep a journal when you dream. This is why you need to write down things when you're inspired. So many times you and I are inspired by the Holy Spirit to a point where you can be moved to tears. Have you been there? Have you, have you imagined yourself? No one else around. It's just you and God. And you're sitting there and he moves and he's speaking to you. And your heart begins to well up with emotion. And tears come down your eyes and you get the strength. And you're like, I will never forget this moment. But you do. I do. You have pizza, you watch a movie, you hang out with some friends, you're running late on a project, you're rushing around to catch a flight, you have to make it to work in a certain amount of time, you're running late for a parent-teacher conference, your car broke down, a tire needs changing, you're sweating, you're going overweight, you have to watch your diet, you have to go for a run, you have to uh, start doing an exercise regime, you start getting interested in the other things, somebody brings you a great Bible study, you kind of get into that, you forget all about that moment where the Holy Spirit had something for you. He spoke to you. You might remember that feeling. Just for a moment, you might glance back there, but you're like, what was it that moved me so much? What was it again? What did he say? What, what, what scriptures were those? Guys, when the Holy Spirit comes, stop what you're doing. Your life is not as important as what the Holy Spirit has to stay with you, that say to you, stop what you're doing and allow it to absorb you and you it. Let it get into the pores of your being and then write it down just as you feel it. No matter how silly, no matter how incomplete, no matter, no matter if it feels like it's conclusive or not conclusive, write it down, remember it like the stones of Jacob's pillow. So that when the children ask, what was that? You can tell them. That's what I felt when I was writing this book. I was writing with every fiber of my being to keep up with the Holy Spirit. And I think now we have a book, Bury Me in China, that is the most comprehensive biography ever written on Robert Morrison and the first significant biography written about him in over a hundred years. That book is available now through Back to Jerusalem and Underground Publishing. Bury Me in China, the story of Robert Morrison. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China.